Uh, so in, in my free time outside of Twitter, I experiment a little bit with uh, telling stories online, experimenting with uh, what we can do with new digital tools. And in my job at Twitter, I actually spend a little bit of time working with authors and storytellers as well, helping to expand out the bounds of uh, what people are experimenting with. And I want to talk through some examples today of things that people have done that I think are really fascinating. Um, using flexible identity and anonymity on the web uh, and blurring the lines between fact and fiction. But I want to start uh, and go back to the 1930s, uh, long before a little thing called Twitter. Radio brought us broadcast and uh, connected millions of people to single points of broadcast. And from those single points, emanated stories. Some of them were familiar stories, some of them were new stories, uh, and for a while they were familiar formats. But then radio began to evolve its own unique formats specific to that medium. Uh, think about episodes that happened live on radio. Combining the live play and the serialization of written fiction, you get this new format. And the reason why I bring up radio is that I, I think radio is a great example of how a new medium defines new formats, which then define new stories. And of course, today we have an entirely new medium to play with, which uh, is this online world. This is the map of verified users on Twitter and the connections between them. There are thousands upon thousands of them. Every single one of these points is its own broadcaster. We've gone to this, this world of many to many where access to the tools is the only barrier to broadcasting. And I think that we should start to see wildly new formats emerge as people learn how to tell stories in this new medium. I actually believe that we are in a wide open frontier for creative experimentation, if you will, that we've explored and begun to settle this wild land of the internet and are now just getting ready to start to build structures on it. And those structures are the new formats of storytelling uh, that the internet will allow us to create. I believe this starts with an evolution of existing methods. The short story, for example, people are saying that the short story is experiencing a renaissance of sorts, thanks to e-readers, digital marketplaces. Um, one writer, uh, Hugh Howey, experimented with short stories on Amazon by releasing one very short story called Wool. And he actually says that he didn't intend for Wool to become a series, but that the audience loved the first story so much they demanded more. And so he gave them more. He gave them Wool 2, which was a little bit longer than the first one, Wool 3, which was even longer, culminating in Wool 5, which was a 60,000 word novel. I think Howie was able to do all of this because he had the quick feedback system of ebooks. He was able to write and publish in relatively short order. There was no mediator between him and the audience. It was just him directly connected with his audience and building on the feedback and enthusiasm that they were giving him. So this whole project was an experiment. It started with the one short story. And I think the experimentation actually became a part of Howie's format. Uh, and that's something that this medium enabled was uh, experimentation being a part of the format itself. This is a short story by the author Jennifer Egan called Black Box. It was originally written specifically with Twitter in mind. Egan convinced the New Yorker to start a New Yorker fiction account from which they could tweet 
all of these lines that she created. Now, Twitter, of course, has a 140 character limit. Egan mocked that up just writing manually in this storyboard sketchbook, uh, used the physical space constraints of those storyboard squares to write each individual tweet. And those tweets uh, ended up becoming uh, over 600 of them that were serialized by The New Yorker. Every night at 8 p.m., you could tune in to a short story from The New Yorker's fiction account. I think that's pretty exciting. Tune in literary fiction. Um, the experience of Egan's story, of course, like anything on Twitter, there were, there were multiple ways to experience it. You could scroll back through it. But interestingly, if you were watching it live, there was this suspense that built because the actual tweets, you had no control over when you would read them. They were coming at a pretty regular clip, but as the story was building, normally as a reader, you control how fast you move through a text. But in this case, The New Yorker did, and they were sending you bit by bit by bit. You had the suspense of waiting for the next line. Uh, another great example of uh, fiction and the short story on Twitter, Elliot Holt is an author who wrote a story called Evidence. Uh, began with this tweet on November 28th at 10.13 p.m., a woman identified as Miranda Brown, 44, of Brooklyn, fell to her death from the roof of a Manhattan hotel. Begins in Elliot's voice, but then Elliot's voice recedes, and we hear the voices of Elsa, Margot, and Simon, characters that Elliot created on Twitter specifically to tell this story, a story from multiple perspectives leading up to this moment at 10.13 p.m. when this woman falls to her death. These three characters uh, brought an authentic vision from multiple perspectives. One reviewer called Elliot's story, quote, Twitter fiction done right, because she did, she captured that voice and she had multiple characters and it happened in real time. Interestingly though, it wasn't just Twitter as a distribution mechanism, it was also Twitter as a production mechanism. Elliot told me later she wrote the whole thing with her thumbs. She laid on the couch and just went back and forth between different characters, tweeting out each line, line by line. I think that this kind of spontaneous creation of what was coming out of the characters' voices really lent an authenticity to the characters themselves, but also to this format that she had created of multiple perspectives in a single story on Twitter. As you begin to play with flexible identity online, it gets even more interesting as you start to interact with the real world. Things like Invisible Obama or the famous binders full of women that came up during the 2012 election cycle, or even the fan fiction universe of West Wing Twitter, in which you have all of these accounts for every single one of the characters in the West Wing, including the bird that taps at Josh Lyman's window in one single episode. Uh, all of these are rapid iterations on a theme. They're creative people experimenting with the bounds of what is possible in this medium. You look at something like West Wing Twitter in which you have these fictional characters that engage with the real world. They comment on politics. They, uh, you know, cry out against the evils of Congress. Keep in mind, they're all Democrats. Um, and they, and they engage with the real world. They respond to it. So once you take flexible identity, anonymity, engagement with the real world, and you move beyond simple homage or parody, and you put these tools to work in telling a story, that's when things get really interesting. So during the Chicago mayoral election, there was a parody account. 
it was Mayor Emanuel. It gave you everything you wanted from Rahm Emanuel, particularly in the expletive department. Uh, this foul-mouthed account followed the uh, daily activities of the race, providing commentary as it went. It followed all of the natural tropes of a good, solid Twitter parody account, but then started to get weird. And as it progressed, uh, it, it moved from this commentary to a multi-week, real-time science fiction epic in which your protagonist, Rahm Emanuel, engages in multi-dimensional travel on election day, which is, uh, it didn't actually happen. I, I double-checked, uh, I double-checked the newspapers. Um, and then, very interestingly, it came to an end. Uh, this is something that doesn't usually happen with a Twitter parody account. It ended. A true narrative conclusion. Um, and so the, the author, Dan Sinker, who was a journalist, who was completely anonymous this whole time, um, I think, you know, Dan, it made a lot of sense for him to turn this into a book because it was a narrative format in the end. Uh, and I think that turning it up into a book is representative of this idea that he had created something new that needed to be translated into previous formats. One of my favorite examples of something that's happening on Twitter right now, actually, is the very absurdist Crimer Show. Uh, Crimer Show tells this story of a super criminal and a hapless detective that face off in this exceptionally strange lingo with all of the tropes of a television show. Crimer Show's creator has said that it is a parody of a popular type of show uh, in the UK, but man, is it weird. And there are all these times where Crimer, the super criminal, does all of these TV things. He's always taking off his sunglasses or turning to the camera. Um, but it's, it, these things just happen in text. Uh, I think borrowing all of these tropes from television and additionally, you know, presenting each Crimer show as an episode, spelled E-P-P-A-S-O-D, episode, um, presenting them as episodes really, uh, it creates something new. There is a new episode of Crimer Show on Twitter pretty much every day, and they're archived that way. And I think this is a this is an interesting experiment in format. Something totally new has been created here out of parodying something on television. I think in nonfiction real-time storytelling, there are a lot of really excellent examples as well. Real-time World War II is an account that documents what was happening on this day 60 years ago in exceptional detail, as if you were reading the news reports from that day. And the author Teju Cole has done a lot of experimentation with putting a literary twist on events of the news. Uh, in this particular case, he's talking about drone strikes. I think that in both of these examples, you're beginning to see ways in which people are telling stories with nonfiction content that can be built into new types of fictional storytelling. So with real-time storytelling, blurring the lines between fact and fiction, the real world and the digital world, flexible identity, anonymity, uh, these are all tools that we have accessible to us, and I think that they're just the building blocks. They are the bits that we use to create the structures, the frames, that then become our settlements on this wide open frontier for creative experimentation. Thank you. <laughs>